This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Drew with you here on Football Eve. It is finally here, gentlemen. Football is upon us. We are, if you're listening to this on Thursday, we are mere hours, perhaps even minutes away from UCF's opener of the 2021 season, Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN against the Boise State Broncos, a game that we have been anticipating for quite some time now between, I guess we can say this, the two most prominent non-automatic qualifying teams in all of college football over the last 20 years. and. They are facing each other for the very first time in the bounce house. It will be a full bounce house on Thursday night for ESPN. First time since 2019 that we've had a full crowd. Uh, Drew, Eric, the anticipation can finally wear down. We are finally here. It is happening. Are you excited, gentlemen? Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> Thanks for letting that just that that let it, dropping that dead fish in the middle of the linoleum of the kitchen floor. I'm just glad we don't have to talk about realignment or nonsense about who's playing where or two for ones. I mean, we're actually going to talk about the, um, the what's going on on the field, what's going to happen on the field. What a concept, a crazy concept, I tell you. Yeah, now we get to talk about actual product instead of you know thinking about product. Yes. So we've got that. We've got a full two segments of football. We are previewing the game. Second segment, we're going to take your questions that you've been sending to us uh, uh, for our show. And then uh, we will wrap uh, everything up with the first real full weekend of Olympic sports at UCF. Uh, this past week, volleyball and soccer getting. Underway. I know I'm going to get to compare one of UCF's Olympic sports to one of Drew's favorite professional sports teams. Big analogy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's hold on to that for but first let us set the stage gentlemen ucf boise state first ever meeting between the teams uh doppler danny 5000 tells us that it should be muggy perhaps rainy i wonder how that's going to play into by the way that is the uh, most accurate weather forecast you will find on any meteorologist anywhere for a ucf football game danny uh, danny our good our good weather meteorologist Dan doppler Medina, danny right. danny doppler how, how does it go again hashtag danny doppler that's what it's about we've got uh so i'm pulling up uh, all the game info from odd shark which is one of our sb nation partners of course um this is gonna be i i just let me let me ask you both. Let's start with just your general feeling about heading into this game right now. Drew, what are you feeling right now? Is it oh, going to be close? I'm, I'm excited. Are you feeling well, good about it? Not good about it? What is it? What's it about? Uh, I mean, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, the, the big question mark is you got two teams, brand new coaches, which means brand new philosophy. So there's a lot of unknowns on both sides. And so there's the, the real advantage comes from the home field advantage at that point. And the bounce house is one of the toughest places for an opposing team to play, especially a good opposing team that, that energizes the fans. You'll be hard pressed to find pound for pound, number for number, a louder place than the 44,000 plus that you'll have, you know, in a full bounce house. And 
it's gonna be really close to full. I mean, I know there's there's probably gonna be some stragglers who don't come or whatever, but I mean, it's gonna be really close to full, and it's gonna be a raucous crowd. Yeah, there's a lot of pent up energy from you know almost two full years without having a full capacity home game that we are just waiting for, waiting to pull the lid off of here. Eric, what do you think? I don't think anybody knows what to expect because the two new coaching staffs, I think this is a game, you know, we had Chris Vanini on in our last show last week. I don't know that the winner gains as much as the loser gains a lot, loses a lot here. Uh, Because you look at both teams here, there's new coaching staffs, a lot of momentum about that, you know, but if you drop the first game, you're like, oh, what does this mean moving forward? You still got, for example, Boise's got to still play Oklahoma State in non-conference. UCF's got to play at Louisville in a couple of weeks. So there's momentum, but I think it's it's fascinating in that two new staffs that really we don't have a feel for. No, nobody, And yet these two coaching staffs, the head coaches, Gus Malzahn and the co- head coach for Boise State, have battled before the a couple years ago. Andy Avalos, yeah. Andy Avalos, when he was the defense coordinator at Oregon, and Gus was at Auburn. They have played. Uh, does the fact that Gus has been an experienced head coach, whereas Avalos has not, does that give UCF an advantage? I think it does. But there's a lot of uncertainty because both teams have their own new systems. How do the players adjust to it? Uh, there's obviously been gamesmanship because both teams decided to hold the depth charts out until Wednesday, uh, which is whatever. And there's still, we got questions about both of these teams. I think both fan bases have questions about their teams going into this game. Well, I, unless you're a top team, you're going to have questions. And, yeah. and, you know, UCF did not end 2020 on a, on a good note. And it, it definitely raised a lot of questions. But you know what? Look at it this way. From a UCF standpoint, last year's detriment was this year's benefit. You have a lot more experience than the than the two deep makes you think there is. And you see a lot of sophomores on there, but they've they've played. You know, these are a lot of guys who mm-hmm. played. So while it may look like a questionable roster in some spots, uh, I, I actually feel a lot more confident going into this game than I probably should have or should be. But, you know, you look at the two deep that just came out and you can't help but feel a little good about it. I, I feel yeah. good we'll about a, this. We'll take a look at that in just a second. So a few nuggets that I want to pass along to everyone about Boise State. Since joining the Mountain West 10 years ago, they are 15-0 and 0 in non-conference games against schools in from group of five conferences. This will be just the third time Boise State has played against an opponent in the American. The previous two times was UConn when they were part of the league. Uh, the only time that uh, they, are, they are 8-1 all-time against schools that currently comprise the AAC, but they played them all at, at a time when they weren't in the American. Uh, 6-0 against Tulsa, 2-0 against SMU. Their only loss was to East Carolina in the 2007 Hawaii Bowl. Uh, Boise State has won six consecutive season openers, three of which on the road. Uh, last season opening loss for them came on twenty came in twenty fourteen against Ole Miss in the Chick Fil A kickoff game in Atlanta. Coincidentally, that's the last time they lost on a Thursday night. So, wow, we have got a uh, a team that knows how to start the season well. Granted, like you said, Eric, new head coach, new leadership. 
That's the one problem. That, right. Going, right. That's the thing. It's a new yeah. staff that I wasn't a part of that. Right. One guy who's going to, who is going to be there though, Hank Bachmeyer, who uh, in five games last year, 61%, 1150 yards, six touchdowns, five interceptions, or excuse me, two interceptions. This is after he kind of set the mountain West on fire uh, the year before in, uh, in 2019. Um, he had, Eric, you remember well the game that he had against Florida state. Uh, where that was his coming out party first, right? It's coming out party. party. True freshman, true freshman coming in against Florida state and, you know, doing what he did, did not flinch, led them to a comeback victory in the second half against Tallahassee or or in Tallahassee. Uh, that year I'm pulling up his stats for that season. Uh, 62%, nine touchdowns, six interceptions in eight games. Uh, 1,879 yards in, in eight games. Now he ended up uh, sitting the rest of the season because I believe he got hurt that year, but he's back. Yeah, he's the yeah, starting boy, quarterback. Yeah, this I is mean, a matchup we've been looking forward to since they announced this game in 2019. It is, uh, you know, he had injuries last year. Boise State had a bunch of injuries, especially at the quarterback position. That's kind of why their season went south. Uh, they had some COVID issues. Hey, they had COVID issues this offseason as well. Right. Uh, the interesting thing is, you're right, though. Bachmeyer's been in that setting. He was at Doe Campbell. They beat Florida State. They've got a talented core, as I mentioned, on the Black and Gold Banner. We did a roundtable. Two guys to keep in mind, Khalil Shakir, their wide receiver. In my opinion, he's the best wide receiver on the field in this game. Not used, And, and I know that some people are going to, you know, the UCF guys, while they're talented, not as proven as a Khalil Shakir is. C.T. Thomas, big play guy. I think one of the key matchups in this match is – UCF's defensive line. We've heard all fall. This is the strength of the defense. They need to show up here. If because to me, Boise State's a type of team. The reason they've been very good in these road games is they have good line play. They've usually been able to run the ball. They've always had great backs, but they've always been able to play physical. UCF has to stand up to them. If they don't put pressure on Bachmeyer, I think they can make some big plays against the UCF secondary. We still don't know how good they're going to be especially with the losses of a Richie Grant type. And I think Boise is going to try to expose some of the linebackers. Now, obviously, you used to have a different different scheme defensively to offset some of that. But, yeah, I think Bachmeyer is very talented when he's healthy and he's got talented core in the receivers. I think they, they're going to be good offensively, and I think it will be a challenge. And we're going to learn a lot about this UCF defense, about how much it's grown and improved or how much are they still in the learning process. They do return their leading rusher from last year, uh, Andrew Van Buren. Uh, although in their depth chart, he's listed as the backup, believe it or not, behind uh, uh, behind George Holani. Uh, so that's going to be something that we're going to be that obviously we want to keep an eye on. As far as UCF is concerned, uh, here are the latest uh, trends on UCF. Uh, even though UCF is just two and seven against the number in their last nine games, they're twelve and five straight up in their last seventeen. And 18 and two straight up in the last 20 games at home. Uh, this is according to uh, Odd Shark. So, uh, one thing though that we got to watch out for again, new coach. So, it's going to be the trends are going to be different, but UCF is one and six against the number in their last seven games when playing as a favorite. UCF in this game is a five and a half point favorite, according to Odd Shark. Over under is it 68? And 56% of the money is on the over. Two-thirds of the money is on UCF minus five and a half. Uh, that line w- went up two points from three and a half. 
and the over under also, uh, let's see, it's it opened at 71 and a half and it's since gone down. So that gives you some information on that. But uh, with the weather, um, the wind is going to be uh, eight miles an hour. It's going to be very muggy, 71 percent. Isolated thunderstorms in the forecast, uh, but it's going to be it's going to be a hot night in Orlando with all those people in that stadium and possibly, you know, some rain early in the day may come through. Is it going to be soggy out there? I'm not hundred percent sure. Although the field actually does is very, it is very good at drainage. I do know that from personal experience, having worked down there um, it is an, it, it does drain well. Um, it's, you know, there, a lot of these factors just kind of line up. It's just, I, you know, when was the last time that we had a game this big at home to start a season? Usually I'm used to, you know, uh, a road game or a, uh, or a home game against a, against an FCS opponent like Bethune who we got next week. But um, this is, this is big right off the bat. And are are we, do you think that there's uh, that there's pressure in this game because of the opponent? Okay. Yes, I agree. Yes. Yes, because here's why. On the field, no. I, I I don't think the season's over if UCF loses this game. Okay, so let me just paraphrase that. That being said, you have a, so much momentum from Gus taking over, the fanfare, the offseason, and all that. You lose this game at home against Boise State, which has been the program you've been compared to, the program you believe is you're better than. You lose to that program. program. UCF, to some extent, has patterned itself after in terms of you know right? success. Correct. You lose to that team, people will turn on the coaching staff, number one, and people will say, wait a minute, what's wrong? It's a deflator. It's a deflator uh, from a momentum standpoint. Doesn't mean you can't pick it up. Doesn't mean that the sky's falling. Doesn't mean anybody should be fired. That, But you're looking at it from a UCF standpoint. If you can't win your home game here against Boise State, you still got to go to Louisville. You still got to go to Navy. You got to go to Cincinnati. You got to go to SMU. It's going to be a transitional year, and some of our fan base and our listeners uh, don't handle that very well. <laughs> so I do think there's pressure, especially when you're at home. You're at home. You mentioned the crowd, the National atmosphere. TV. But I got to tell you something. If you think Boise's going to be phased by any of that, I, I think you're that's the wrong program to think you're going to bully here because – the reason why, and I know UCF fans don't like that Boise gets the benefit of the doubt from the media compared to UCF. The reason Boise gets the benefit of the doubt, marquee non-conference wins. Wins at Georgia. Wins at Virginia Tech. Wins against Oregon. A win against Florida State. I know they were bad, but it's Florida State. I think you, the bigger question here, Jeffrey, this to me might be UCF's best, biggest non-conference regular season win since when? Fill in the blank, boys. Mm. Uh, are see. you talking about your season opener or in general? In general, just give me any general, because that's uh, to me. Because so UCF, from a bowl game standpoint, I would argue has had better resume wins than Boise State has in bowl games. But well, I don't non-conference wise. Because one, Neither. you don't have control of who you play, and I agree. Uh, those are lar- bowl games and are, are really just exhibition games outside of a, a few. But for the most part, they're 
Yeah, right. you have to look at regular season games a little bit different. I would actually say Penn State 2013 would probably be yeah. the biggest. That's a good one. Probably be it. I like it. I agree. At Happy Valley, 100 plus thousand. I mean, Jerry O'Neill, when he was doing sideline, told me it's the loudest place he's ever been as a sideline reporter. That's a great point. That's a great pick, Drew. So, but that's a drought. That's a little while. That's a while ago. Well, that I was, mean, uh, you know, I mean, you that was a Bill O'Brien-led Penn State team back then. You have BYU in 2014, but if you look at the non-conference schedule since then, it's been kind of crickets. I yeah. mean, North Carolina has been like snake bitten. You know, you can never seem to play them. Uh, Georgia Tech was was having a down year the one time you know UCF finally got on the field with them. Watch out for next year's squad though. That that quarterback running back duo is going to be nasty. Uh, but I mean, other than that, it's it's largely been crickets. I mean, you know, they just haven't had much really to write home on the out of conference schedule. So yeah, I, I still go with uh, Penn State twenty thirteen. There, you know, you you win in Big Ten country, right? Says a lot, and that's yeah. why I think this is a bigger big, big pressure on UCF. This is a great opportunity, third uh, prime nationally televised game, ESPN Gus O debut. This is an opportunity to kind of scratch that and say this is your big marquee non-conference win i do think this is a big factor from the mountain west and the american standpoint from a reputation standpoint uh from a standpoint of hey who gets the benefit of doubt at the end of the day new year's six they're going to look at this game as part of the equation especially if the whoever wins this game so i do think the pressure is on ucf to win this game for those reasons i've just addressed well to add on to it it's a home game that puts the pressure absolutely higher. you absolutely. have that home field advantage you're expected to win uh the the point spread is the way it is for reason uh for you can always take three points in the spread and attribute that to your home field advantage so the truth is if it's six and a half the real spread is three and a half so you can always subtract three from the from the home side and that and that's your real spread but i mean the fact that it's a home game you have two teams that are receiving votes in the top 25 polls so that means people are paying attention and before conference schools start cannibalizing each other if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. And, you know, you want to set yourself up as the top group of five. Well, Boise State has been the other, you know, the non-conference out of the American, you know, outside of the American top dog. So you want to not, you want to be the best, knock them down. They've yeah. done it for two decades. They've done it for two decades. And look, like I said, uh, well, we're going to do a post-game show. Drew, you did the post-game show with me last year. We're going to be doing the post-game show once again, night shift after the game. The tone will be dictated by the result, obviously. If they win the game, I think everybody's going to feel out coming out of that stadium and watching like, man, what a game, what a great win. We could go undefeated. We could go to New Year's Six. If they lose, people are going to be like, oh, boy, is this going to be a, a what kind of year is this going to be when we have all those games still ahead of us? So I think, you know, we tend to over – and we're going to – yeah, and I agree – Okay, it is an overreaction either way. I agree. But that's college sports fan to be in, in, in general, and that's, well, that's what this game is going to bring. I mean, fan is short for fanatic. So, I mean, that, that that's just sports for you. It's It brings out the passion. You know, uh, passion is a double-edged sword. Uh, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's apathy. So, I mean, people have a lot of passion for their teams, and they're going to, you know, be happy and elated or sad and angry, but you know, they still, it's still major feelings. A couple of notes, a couple of notes that may dovetail into some of those feelings, Drew. Uh, this, 
uh, is UCF's uh, a win would be UCF's sixth consecutive win in a season opener. Uh, it would also, by the way, Gus Malzahn is a perfect nine and zero in home openers as a head coach. He can go for he can get ten tomorrow, uh, and then also uh, UCF's next win would be all time win number one hundred and seventy five for UCF football milestone. So a little bit of a milestone there. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this is going to be uh, pretty, I want to dive into, before we take a break, let's dive into the news from today, which is the depth chart finally coming out uh, for UCF. Uh, obviously no surprise who's starting a quarterback, uh, but stop the press, few, stop the press, uh, but a few, a few little, little tidbits here and there that I think were pretty interesting. Mikey Keene is officially listed as the backup quarterback. Isaiah Bowser is listed as the starting tailback. Behind him are either Richardson or Mark Anthony Richards. Uh, wide receiver core, Brandon Johnson and Jalen Robinson are, and Ryan O'Keefe are listed as the starters. Uh, behind each of them, Nate Craig Myers, Johnson, Caden Robinson, Titus Mokiao, Atamalala, and Amari uh, Johnson. Uh, a couple of other interesting notes that Drew, we, you pointed out in your column that was up on uh, Black and Gold Banneret today. Place kicker, <laughs> Riker Casey or Daniel Obarski. That's nah, that's nah, never good when you have an or next to your kicker position. Well, we're gonna. I think we're gonna find out one way or the other real quick. There are a couple of other ors in the starting lineup on defense. Uh, you got three seniors up in the front four, but in the uh, linebacker position, you've got. Tatum Bethune or Eric Gilliard. Uh, and then in the uh, secondary, you have either Corey Thornton or Mark Adomio on at corner. And then one of the safety positions is either Quadric Bullard or Derek Gaines. Um, Drew, any, anything we can glean from this in terms of uh, it, what Gus Malzahn is trying to show here in terms of his cards with the depth chart? Well, I mean, if you look at the defensive side, uh, you're going to see a couple of flex positions, the buck position and the knight position. And if you read the article, uh, traditionally the buck is uh, a backside linebacker or a weak side linebacker, which is, you know, away from the tight end. So they have, so he's a like a designated pass rusher then uh, pretty much. But what, if you look at the guys who are listed there, big cap, Ryan, And then Landon Woodson, both are actually undersized for the defensive line. They're both tall. Um, mm -hmm. Big Cat's the smaller one at six foot five, but he's also uh, uh, Landon Woodson is 235 pounds. Big Cat is 245 pounds. That's actually small for yeah. a defensive line. You look at the rest of that 2D, 290, 210, I mean, uh -huh. you got some beef on the defensive line. So this is actually going to afford some flexibility. They can line up uh, as a four as a four down and, and, and be as part of the edge, or they can drop back and you have basically what becomes more like a three, four defense. And by utilizing the night position, uh, which is Bryson Armstrong uh, as the starter. And, and he's been, you know, he's got massive amount of FCS accolades. But what I found interesting is the guy behind him, Devontae Dawson is actually a defensive back. Mm -hmm. So the night position may also be a flex between linebacker and defensive back. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it seems to be like a like a buck is kind of like you can be either a pass rush defensive end or an outside linebacker. Mm -hmm. 
kind of like a Lawrence Taylor kind of thing. Or and the and the night position feels like you could be almost like a strong safety uh, where you're playing close to the line, like a longer in run sport, but you're, but you're, but you will drop. Think of it like, downs. think of it like Aaron Robinson, who played kind of a flex position in himself. I mean, right. That or was Ronnie hard. Lott for the you old school guys. Well, right? I was thinking more UCF centric, but I mean, <laughs> oh, okay, okay, fine. But, but Aaron Robinson, uh, you know, granted he was listed as a defensive back. He essentially was playing like a third linebacker. He was very flexible. So now they've actually created, so you can create a four, three out of this. You can create a three, four out of this. You can create a nickel defense with five defensive backs and two linebackers. So a four, two, five, you can do a, a three, three, five. I mean, there's a lot of flexibility with these two flex positions that you can move them all over between, you know, the, the buck between the, the defensive front uh, line and the linebackers and then the night between the linebackers and the defensive backs. So that gives a lot of flexibility without having to change much personnel. Uh, and, and that makes it that much harder to plan for. You know, it was pretty cut and dry what UCF was running under Randy Shannon. They were running a nickel defense, four down linemen, two linebackers, five defensive backs. Mm. Here, you don't know what they're going to run. And, and I think that's really part of the chess match uh, of, of football. You know what I like going back and looking at it? Look at that offensive line. I got three redshirt seniors, I got a true junior, and I got a redshirt sophomore in Matt Lee, who was an all-conference performer last year. Oh, yeah. The, the offensive line is definitely the most stable line going from last year to this year. Uh, nothing's changed on it. Uh, you know, the, the guys who are up front are the guys who expect it to be up front. And outside of backup center, which is going to be Mike Lofton, uh, it was – everyone else is pretty much where we thought they were going to be. Uh, you know, this is a very stable unit on the flip side. It's a very, it's the most senior laden student um, uh, unit. Five out of the 10 are seniors. So mm -hmm. you're going to have some attrition next year more than anywhere else on the field. So you're going to probably see some young guys sneak in some playing time, especially, uh, you know, while trying to keep red shirts, uh, you know, cause you can play four games and still maintain redshirt. So if any any blowout starts happening, you're, that line is probably going to be shifted out quicker than most other units. All right. Well, we got a full preview coming tomorrow morning. We've got uh, we've also got our uh, roundtable that's up. We've got a ton of preview material that Drew, you have worked extraordinarily hard on breaking down every position. Uh, and and in addition, we also did a sort of roundtable five biggest questions leading uh, leading into this season for UCF. So there's literally no excuse for you not to be prepared in terms of knowledge when you step into the bounce house uh, for the seven o'clock kickoff uh, between Boise State and UCF on ESPN. And Eric, who do we have uh, calling the game on uh, ESPN? We have Matt Berry, the new Thursday night team, by the way, for ESPN. This is the new team because when this first came out, we were all kind of thrown off a little bit. Um, <laughs> So Matt Barry will be the voice for these Thursday night games uh, alongside, uh, you know, uh, Roddy Jones and yep. Harry Lyles Jr. will be the sideline reporters. It's a brand new broadcast team. They're going to be the Thursday night team. Uh, I was a little cut off guard by it myself. 
Uh, don't know what to tell you. I mean, Roddy Jones, I think people has done UCF games in the past, yeah, uh, working with different people. So I think they're fine. Matt Berry, that's an interesting move. He did some games last year with Mike Golick Jr. Uh, I don't know if they will be in the stadium or if they will be on remote. We'll find out when this, the, the, you know, obviously the game starts airing, but, um, yeah, interesting broadcasting. I don't really have. I'm, I'm, I don't know how this will go. Uh, you know, but you also remember, folks. You also have the radio version with Mark Daniels, Gary Paris, Scotty Adams, and company uh, on the radio side. So if you don't like what you hear, just tune into the radio and figure out the audio deal. And if you like it, then and just but the most important thing, just remember after the game, go to our YouTube page. We'll be live. Myself and Jeremy Brenner. We want interaction. Drew might pop in. Uh, during home games, I you know that's going to be different. You know when when Brian uh, did this uh, the post game shows, we waited till he got to his car, but he lived in the same neighborhood in town in the stadium is uh, Drew has a lot of mileage he has to drive, so I don't you know we will try to be very conscious of that, Drew. I, we don't worry that. about the miles. The miles will worry. You got about Bluetooth themselves. in the car, right, Drew? I think you're oh, fine of course. On that. Yeah, 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 don't worry about so, the miles. But but remember, for those who are at the stadium, you can listen. To the PA guy, Jeff Sherrick. Yeah, I've heard of him. I've heard of I him. Mean, he, so, he's okay. He's okay. I've heard of I, him. I will. I will say this. I thought I was nervous heading into my very first game last year with Tulsa. Ten thousand people in the stands, and I was. I I have a video of myself introducing the game. You can see my hands shaking as I'm holding my script. I am super nervous for this game because it's a full house. Prime time. Everything. It's a big game. It's a this fun is a game. big game. This is this is right. as, this is as big as it gets. And and listen, all of you are like, "What do you mean you're nervous?" I'm always nervous. You Jeff, guys, have looked, I have, I have listen to this podcast. You know how nervous I get about every UCF game. Like Jeff, you know. I have a recommendation for you. Don't okay. suck. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> this is why I wow. keep you on board. Appreciate yeah. that. You know there what you doesn't suck? The questions that we've been getting from our listeners on Twitter, UCF underscore banner on Twitter. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we will answer your questions coming up next. This is the black and gold Banneret podcast back after this. Welcome back to the black and gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Drew Glukov, Eric Lopez with you on football Eve here. UCF Boise state 7 PM uh, on Thursday, September the 2nd, getting ready for the game late Roster news from UCF. Traymon Morris Brash not listed in the two deep. And uh, the news is not good, uh, Drew. It's not. Uh, was arrested Saturday for a DUI. Uh, blew a .165, which is more than double the legal limit of .08. Uh, that's not good. Uh, UCF uh, and uh, head coach Gus Melzon did have an official statement basically saying, we're taking care of it. Hmm. All right. <laughs> That could mean oh, anything. That could mean anything. It's it is as uh, it is as ominous as it is vague. Isn't well, it? what? Well, yeah. And Drew, my question to you on this: What does that mean now, moving forward for the defensive line for whatever? I mean, this is an. I mean, it's another body you lose at least. Uh, the impact of this on the field is what? Well, I mean, he's supposed to be a starting defensive end. I mean, he you know he was supposed to be one of those main guys, and now he's not there. Granted. UCF's defensive line is absolutely stacked with the transfers that they brought in, Ricky Barber, Big Cat Bryant. So if there's any year that one of your starters does something not very smart and gets in trouble for, 
this is the year you want one guy to do it because you can you can actually get by with with one guy out. But I'm you don't want to lose anyone. And, the defense. Oh, sorry, you, Drew. I would say you don't want to lose anyone. Um, we'll see what comes of this. Could be a suspension. I mean. I haven't heard anything about dismissal yet. They haven't gone. Yeah, we can't even speculate about that. No, whatever, whatever, whatever coach Malzahn and his staff decide to do, they're deciding that right now and they're keeping it their hand and, you know, within house, we'll know about it at some point. Yeah. My guess is we'll probably get some sort of resolution by next week. Uh, right now it's about Boise state. And so you're yeah. not going to worry about this other than the fact of you're not playing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I wouldn't want them playing at this point because, you know, you, that's a major, major no oops. Um, yeah. There has to be accountability, and, and you well, it, it, before, right? I agree. Before yeah. you, you know, you, you, before you start the season on your first game and something like that, you you have to draw the line. You have to set a standard. Uh, you don't want the roster to get away from you before you ever take the field for a real game. So, I'm, this decision is really important. It's really huge, and it sets the stage for discipline throughout you know, potentially the rest of his tenure. Go ahead, Eric. You were going to say, no, I agree. I agree. And look, they're going to take care of it. And uh, the, the good news is, as you mentioned, they have depth, the concerning thing. And I've said this in past episodes, you know, you don't want like losing players before seasons uh, games are played. Uh, I know people feel good about their depth, but at some point that kind of takes its toll. You know, as we get to playing games and things, but the most important thing of the whole thing is you hope that the young man learns his lesson. I mean, and I think that is important here. I think Gus, remember what Gus said as he's been, since he's been here, it's about the people, it's about learning. I think a life lesson to me, hopefully out of this, a lot more important of whatever contributions he makes on the field. I hope that in the big picture, you know, there's a positive that comes out of this for the young man. Right. Um, it should be noted as far as the as far as football is concerned with this defensive end position, the starters, Anthony Montalvo, Richard Sr. Behind him, Josh Seliscar, who was a star last year. As so, I said, if, if this that's is pretty one, loaded. That's, this is probably the most stacked singular position on the team. Yeah. As far as depth goes. All right. So let's get to some questions from you, the listeners who have been sending us questions. Uh, and we appreciate uh, all the questions that you've been sending our way. Uh, now, uh, this is from Operator Gus on Twitter. Who's going to have the biggest impact as a transfer? Drew, we'll start with you. Uh, well, I mean, it, you meant you know, we mentioned issues on the defensive line. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm leaning towards uh, Big Cat Bryant. Uh, you know, you're voted one of the team captains. Uh, you know, granted, Brandon Johnson was as well, but you know, with a with a team that a squad that was much maligned from last year, you need someone to kind of rise up. And, and Big Cat has some good accolades coming in, more so than some of the other transfers. I and mean, the only other transfer I'd say has as much accolades is is um, Bryson Armstrong, who I'm a big fan of. But then again, I've always been a fan of small school guys. Uh, but I, I think Bryant is really going to set the pace and, and with that flex position could really cause some disruption. I, I 100% agree. I think he's the most important player because to me, what's been lacking from UCF the last couple of years, what they had in 2017 is a guy in that line that's not going to allow 
his defensive guys to get pushed around. If you look back at 2017, a guy that was always underappreciated from that defense was Jamarius Pittman. Why? Because him and Tony Garrod made sure that they weren't going to get pushed around by the other team's offensive line. Since then, that hasn't been necessarily the case. And I think Big Cat is the guy to me that is going to be the guy that tells me, hey, this guy's going to make sure this defensive line doesn't get pushed around. We're going to be the physical ones, not the opponent's offensive line. I think that sets the tone. With so many, with you, with you got still questions in your backside, your secondary linebackers. Defensive line's got to set the tone here. I think Big Cat sets the tone. I think he's the most important guy. I think he makes the biggest impact. I'm going to add right. on to that is uh, because, you know, you look at Kalia Davis, who's an absolute beast, you know, in the front. But the thing is, Khalid Davis is kind of one of those quiet guys who you hits hard, you know, talk quiet, but carry a big stick. Well, you need a guy who's going to also be a, a voice to rile the troops, you bring them together. And I think that's where Bryant's also going to really excel is on the leadership front. You, you, you know, Shaquem Griffin did an outstanding job in that 2017 team of bringing them together, being the spirit, being the voice. And they're going to need someone who rises up to do that. And, and so far, it looks like Bryant's going to be that guy. All right. Uh, James Reed, cause sake advisor on Twitter. Uh, freshman in the two deep. What are we looking for from those guys? Who, who do you think may stand out uh, the most from any, uh, any freshmen who are in the two deep? Well, we've got, if, if I, if I counted correctly and, and I should have, because I looked at it like three different times, uh, we have three true freshmen and one red shirt freshman in the two deep. Uh, I think Brandon Adams is going to be a guy who's going to a lot of playing time. You're going to have rotation within the defense and in, in, including the defensive backs. Uh, there's probably gonna be a little bit of attrition from injury and unlike the wide receivers, uh, there, there's just there's not quite as much depth in the defensive backs. Uh, Brandon Adams set behind Devontae Brown. Uh, I think he's got a great opportunity to get on the field for some meaningful playing time. He's really and, big too, six three, one eighty. Oh, he's a big boy, and he's, yeah, he's got a big kid. Yeah. So. Uh, I, 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 really I agree. Like looking, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. I, no, I agree. I think that's pivotal. You know, when you're going to play the SMUs and the, even the Louisvilles and teams, you're going to be probably three, four wideout sets. So you're going to have to have Brandon's going to have to be good because he's going to be a guy that I would not be surprised if certain teams try to target him early on, depending on the matchups. Yeah. The guys, I, I still can't wait to see what Titus Mukiawatamalala does in the wide receiver sets. We, we saw the video from earlier this year about him working with DG. Um, they have the 808 connection going on there. I'm interested to see what he can do. He's a real flyer. 61175. I think that's what's underrated about him is his size. 61175. I want to also add that he is currently listed as second at, on the punt returner list. So there's a yeah. possibility of him getting involved there too. Amari Johnson's your starter. A lot of a lot of talk about Amari Johnson probably uh, uh, having a chance of being your breakout guy for the year. Yeah, we know about the speed that Amari brings to the table, too. I think that's going to be fun. Uh, let's see. Uh, James also asks, where would Ware have played uh, the defensive back who we lost for the seat, who we just lost for the season? He would have started, wouldn't he, Drew? Uh, I, I would imagine he would have been, uh, he would be penciled in as a starter. Uh, you know, it's hard to find experience in the defensive backfield. You know, you have uh, sophomores, you know, starting. Uh, that's not always a good thing. Grant, you know, sometimes it's the best player, but 
you need leadership. And he was expected to be a leader in the defensive backfield with that experience. And his loss will be sorely missed. Yeah. Jarvis Ware came over from Mizzou uh, along with the, uh, the Knights uh, code defensive coordinator, David Gibbs, uh, and also the secondary coach. So kind of expected to be a coach on the field in a way. Um, let's see here. Uh, rolling through some of those other questions. Um, another one from operator Gus Dylan Gabriel's NFL stock. What are we thinking? Uh, he needs a really good year. And, and, and let me explain why. Uh, and I, I know it's not fair to, to kind of, you know, douse him with, with unfortunate criticism, but because it, it's not his fault. He's viewed as a system quarterback. And the reason why is because Josh Heupel ran a specific system with very simple play calling. It was, you know, it was basically three or four plays. There was not much nuance to it. Not a lot and of reads to it. It really, it really had nothing to it. And, and that hurts his stock. He needs this year to really prove under a more competent system, a more complicated system that he's not just a guy with an arm because he has amazing deep route touch. I remember watching him when he was playing against Florida Atlantic, his first game as a starter, I was down in Boca watching the game and his deep passes were beautiful, but he had massive happy feet problem on anything short and medium range. And that's Mm -hmm. what this offense is really going to focus more on. So he's got an opportunity to prove that, Hey, I'm not just a a guy who heaves it downfield and hopes for the best. Uh, He needs a really good, a good year to do that. This is a thin quarterback class. You have, you know, uh, what? Sp- the kid uh, from North Rattler. Carolina. So I had, yeah, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, yep. and a, a basket of French fries. Uh, it, it goes <laughs> it goes downhill from there. I mean, well, I know, like Sam Howell. Um, in fact, Sam Howell's good. Yeah, um, I do. In fact, my that's, pretty- that's it. That's There's a major drop-off after. I mean, yeah, Malik, yeah. Malik Willis is a poor man's Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, it's, it's very similar style of play. Uh, doesn't necessarily translate. It can be hit or miss in the NFL. Uh, you know, Desmond Ritter is, is not really, uh, an NFL quarterback. Well, you know, we don't know that in fairness. I mean, I can tell you, I was listening to Ryan Rosillo's podcast, Stanford, Steve, who's on with Scott Van Pelt. And I've also heard Curb Herbstreet say the word on the street is that they believe that Desmond Ritter has taken that next step this offseason, which is the passing game. That's the code word for, can you throw the football, young man? Yeah, Everybody we'll knows. We have to see it. Right, we Bring have it. to see yeah. it. it. Agreed. But if he it, does, if he does, that changes the equation. And there's always that guy that comes out of nowhere in these draft classes that gets drafted super high. They're like, wow, I didn't think of that. Like Joe Burrow, people forget. Joe Burrow was not a number one overall pick until he literally got knocked out by UCF, which we don't need to address in the Fiesta Bowl. It's a bad memory. But it was, nobody thought of him as an NFL draft number one pick at all until during the season played out for LSU. Blake Bortles, nobody was thinking about him being a first-round draft pick, let alone a top three pick, until literally – uh, Todd McShay was in town for that UCF South Carolina game. I'll never forget it. I was hosting radio show in the morning at the time, and I had Dave Pash on, who was calling the game for ABC, and he said, "Our we're our, Brian Greasy at the time, who was his analyst, and, and McShay, they're all looking at Blake Bortles. His stock is up. So there's always room for a guy to raise up, and I think it could be either Dylan or Desmond. It could be either or. 
One right. thing and about one thing about Desmond too, he's got 36 career games under his belt, but you know how many times he's thrown for 300 yards or more? One, two, four. Right. That's now, it. in fairness to them, they're, I mean, with Luke Fickle, they're a run the football. They're not going to be a spread out, throw it 40 times a game. But yeah, he but does have to. But that's the knock on him is that he's, he's right. just a runner. But that's, right? the po- thing. that's the same. It's this, you know, an inverse problem that Dylan Gabriel has. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're stuck with a specific system. He has not had a chance to really show what he can do. And if you look at his numbers, his completion percentage is, is not anything spectacular. So, I mean, yeah, you're throwing the ball less, but you're also completing less. Yeah. Uh, he's going to need a strong year, just like Dylan Gabriel is. Like, if I if Dylan Gabriel went in the draft in 2020, I thought maybe maybe a sixth-round pick. Uh, you know, he's he's got work to do, and and Desmond Ritter does too. I mean, Ritter has got the benefit of a team that has done really well, which tends to boost your may, stock. may very well be that that game between these two teams ends up really deciding – who the top dog is here between the well, SMU, SMU may have something to say about that. I, I agree with that. But by the way, Dylan Gabriel has played in 23 career games. You know how many times he's thrown for 300 yards or more? Um, it's a very long list. It's 11, <laughs> 11 of the 23 games. But again, different style. And how right? many of those, though, are in marquee opponents that open your eyes? You, Jeff, you and I were there. I think you were there. For the Stanford-UCF game, that was the game a couple of years ago where Gabe Davis announced himself to the NFL. That was the game when he blew past uh, Debo, who's now with the Saints, the defensive back for Stanford, and the other guys. When he dominated that Stanford. Thank you. When he dominated him and dominated Stanford, that's when all the NFL people was like, did you see this guy? That was the yeah. – there's always – and it could be – this Boise game could be that for Dylan. It could be that or it could be the Cincinnati game or it could be the Louisville game. Yeah. One thing we do know from a Dylan standpoint, he will have the opportunities from a national television standpoint to get his name out there and, and prove his stock. Uh, if he has these marquee games, that, that's, when the, that's when the kind of the publicity begins. Well, By the way, the, the Dylan the stats in those in that Stanford game. Sorry to interrupt, Drew. That's but okay. Dylan stats in that Stanford game. By the way, to a 33-47, four touchdowns. Yeah, I mean he was he was nearly flawless. Huh. Yeah, uh, but I mean the, the thing is he's on the radar. He's not hiding. They know who Dylan Gabriel is, so they're going to be keeping an eye on him. What Stanford looking- Steve said on the podcast that's his favorite quarterback to watch, and he said yeah, he- that's. That, that's it really is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. It's it. He just needs to prove that he's more than just a deep ball. All right. And I think this system will prove that one way or the other with Absolutely. Gus. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but I, I really am. I, I know one thing. If he has a if he has a monstrous year this year, I mean, I don't know, man. Well, he's he's <laughs> gone at that point. You think so? Um, I I think he's gone either way. And I've I, if you if you guys remember. I've pointed from from almost day since the spring game. I already projected Mikey King to be your starting quarterback next year. Well, I'm not sure I agree with that either. But uh, I will say this: I do agree with most of that. Uh, one thing I will say with NIL, you know, there's something to be said to be a popular college football player now on your team. You can you can make some money out of that. Just saying. Yeah. Um, good question here from uh, Citro Knight Apparel. Who? on defense do you think will be the breakout guy eric i want to go to you first on this one can it be does it have to be a player because i think it's got to be travis williams the defensive okay, coordinator I, I like i like, like you thinking outside the box on that answer let's go with that and now here's why i'll say that and i'll let drew take the players this defense was atrocious last year 
And Drew and I spent a ton of time on the postgame show questioning the scheme, questioning Randy Shannon. A lot of the fan base questioned Randy Shannon. Well, he's gone now. And this guy, I think, is legit. I think this guy is a future head coach, kind of like Marcus Freeman at Cincinnati was the defense coordinator. And now he just got plucked to Notre Dame. I think this guy could be a star that would not surprise me. If UCF defensively plays well, he's a name that's going to be a hot name in the coaching fraternity. And I think what can he do with this defense I think will speak volumes. Yes, they have some talent, but there's still some questions on this roster defensively. We're, we'll see what he comes up with from a scheme standpoint and how what he maxes. The players adore him. They speak highly of him. They talk about how they feel they are in, in position, in good position to make a play, which was not the case in the past. I know it's a cop-out, but I think Travis Willie could be a star name, a big name that we're, people are talking about if UCF has a good year defensively here come the as the year plays on. Drew? Uh, is it a breakout guy if he's already good and just didn't play for UCF? Yeah, let's go with it. Okay, then I'm going with Bryson Armstrong. Uh, okay. I, I love this guy. Uh, he is a tackle machine. I'm just an absolute tackle machine. And, uh, you know, if you actually pull up his, his numbers real quick, and if I could click on it real fast, uh, it's, it's really impressive. I mean, he was uh, second team on the uh, AP All-FCS All-American team. So, I mean, that's pretty good. He did the same thing in 2019. He's been – Kennesaw State. Yeah, can, uh, transfer from Kennesaw. Two-time Big South Conference Defensive Player of the Year in, in the 19 and the 21 season, which is obviously the – relocated 2020 season has over 314 tackles in his career at Kennesaw. Uh, he is, he has a knack for the ball and just knows how to get there and make tackles. I mean, I'm really stoked to see how this guy fits in, in on an FBS team playing against some, some good opponents, uh, especially ones that like to run the ball. I I'm really, really excited to see him play. Does Devon, does this Devon Wilson count? Because I would throw his name too. As far I, as yeah, I think he, so. Yeah, um, he, uh, you know, last year was his first year on the team, you know, transferring from Georgia, uh, got kind of thrown into the wolves a little bit a little bit early, and uh, he, he's been able to kind of rise up from it. That was one of the benefits of having younger players having to step in and play in the defensive backfield was guys like Devon Williams really growing into his role. Uh, I think he's an excellent pick for breakout. Yeah, I just didn't want to feel like I was cheating the question going with T. Will, so I will give you a bonus with the play. No, if you were cheating the question, I would have held you to it. I uh, So, all right, I like that. Let's see if we have – what do you think? We have time for one more? Sure. All right, let's do a completely silly one. This is also from Operator Gus. Should we change our name to the Citronauts? No. No, stop okay. it. <laughs> we do it for one, one – we have one game a year that, that's a space game that has uses the Citronaut. Um, I'd like to see it, you know, used every so often, uh, instead of just having a UCF block on the helmet. Yeah. Throw a Citronaut on there, you know, maybe call it them that for a game, but I mean, don't do more for one game. No, people no. are still, people are still calling us golden Knights. The last thing we need to do is complicate this even more. All right. <laughs> they do that right, to boy. troll. They, they I, do don't, the, I, um, know, I don't know if they do that to troll. I think people generally are confused just like they do you know, the whole, so I don't even want to get into the central Florida thing, by the way, it's okay. If we wear black and gold, just saying. Give me some black and gold. Give me some all blackouts when, you know, gear. So I would love to see one thing I would like to see is some sort of uniform set where we mix the black and gold with the Canaveral blue. 
and just see how that looks together. Nobody else has that, that color combination. What if we did that? Uh, well, that I remember when the Cleveland Cavaliers tried to use that with a blend of orange and didn't. Uh... Eh, it's the Cavs. Everything they touch turns to crap. Wow. Um, wow. This is back in the Fratello days. So they actually played defense back. Then. I didn't mind was... those jerseys. I remember that Terrell Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Phils. Remember Bobby Phils? The late Rest Bobby in Phils. peace. Yes. But Lily Bobby Phils. Mark Price. The original anyway. days of Zedrunas Ilgoskis. Yes. So, uh, all right. Hey, thanks to everyone for sending in the questions. We really appreciate them. Uh, if you got more questions after the game, I know you will make sure you make sure you hop onto our YouTube channel. Uh, immediately following the football game, Eric, you and Jeremy Brenner will be yep. on board definitely for night shift. Uh, yeah, we'll be doing that all year. Uh, obviously, Drew will be at the games, at the home games, and but road games, Drew will be with me on the and Jeremy as well in the road games. We'll do it after every game. Get your thoughts in the chat room there, as well as you can tweet at us at the our Black and Gold and ask your questions. We'll try to address them throughout the show. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick subscribe. Break. Subscribe to our YouTube panel, YouTube channel as well. Uh, stick around when we return. More stuff to talk about. We got we want to talk about uh, soccer and volleyball kicking off a full weekend. We'll preview what they've got coming up this weekend as well, uh, and clean up some uh, loose ends when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. It's Jeff, Drew, and Eric with you as we finish up getting ready for football season Thursday night, seven o'clock UCF against Boise State. Uh, one more little, one more interesting bit of news from the football side. Uh, ESPN Plus, boy, Eric, this is really paying off for UCF, isn't it? They just announced, along with uh, UCF, that uh, they will be airing uh, on ESPN Plus exclusively uh, a documentary series, Our Time, UCF Football. Throughout the 2021 season, it premieres September the 9th, exclusively on ESPN Plus. Um, it is, uh, I just want to double check. Okay, it's produced by Bo Mattingly in partnership with executive producers Mike McKinnis and JM Associates in conjunction with the athletic with the American Athletic Conference. Uh, they're scheduled for, let's see, seven and four is 11, 12 episodes running September 9th through December the 2nd. Uh, and the series is uh, going to go behind the scenes with the UCF football, right? Inside the meeting rooms, the locker rooms. Mike uh, players and coaches mic'd up for various segments. Gus Malzahn totally signed on with this. Um, and in the trailer for it, I saw they were talking to him in his car while he's heading into work. Um, you know, it's uh, th this is really good. This is hard knocks UCF edition. Basically the UCF is the third program to do it. The other previous two were both in, interestingly enough, the big 12 conference, Oklahoma state and Kansas in 2020 and 2019 respectively. Um, Eric, this is right in your wheelhouse, man. Yeah, this is uh, this is pretty cool. It is. We if I we go back to March at the men's basketball uh, championship game, Mike Oresco held his uh, a Zoom press conference, and one of the things he brought up, and I think actually I asked him the question, so I'm going to go ahead and just pat myself on the back on this. Hey, give yourself the credit. Yeah. Because yeah. I asked him about the, you know, because I, again, we don't know. I mean, we have been on top of this ESPN plus since literally this contract was signed. We have Michael Smith on. 
uh, you know, it's things like that. And and I asked Gus uh, and I asked uh, Mike about ESPN. Could you know we see some content? You know, what can we expect from it? Ex- you know, expanding there. He had acknowledged one of the things ESPN Plus he expects to do from the American standpoint to see original content that the schools had the right to do original content and do their own stuff in series. And here's an example right here where UCF, who obviously has been doing some good stuff in the past anyway, they've kind of been giving you glimpse over the last few years with their Netflix stuff. Well, now this isn't a bigger stage to do a documentary. You mentioned the previous two Oklahoma State and Kansas. I've watched those. This is what ESPN Plus, you're going to see, I think, more of this as it moves forward. I think it's cool from a fan base. You're going to see some stuff behind the scenes. You know, it's funny because Hard Knocks obviously has been huge in the NFL. We, you know, college football has tried to do this. Showtime has done this in years past with Notre Dame and Florida State and Navy. Uh, but it's harder because a lot of times college programs just don't want to give access. Like, you know, uh, but to UCF, they've always been pretty good about this behind the scenes. So I think it's a win-win for all parties. Good promotional. And again, ESPN Plus provides you this platform. Do you get this platform if you're on if you don't have ESPN Plus? If you're on ESPN, probably not. Uh, but you do because it's ESPN Plus and you have more ability. And the beauty is, you can watch it whenever you want. So I'm looking forward to seeing this. Uh, I think it's a smart move for everybody there. It's a great exposure for the program that you can't put a price on. I think the other question you got to say is, do you, do you get this? Do you get this kind of thing if you're on Fox or CBS or NBC? No. Maybe NBC. Uh, yeah, the Peacock. Yeah. I think NBC with Peacock, maybe. Uh, Fox would be a problem because they don't have a streaming platform right now that you can trust on that. In fact, they've tried now. They've tried to do some documentaries. They've had some mixed results with that. Same thing with the CBS deal. They're obviously got Paramount. Uh, yeah. Look, streaming is the way to go. That, that kind of content over to Showtime, really. Right. The difference here is, though, with ESPN Plus, this is your home for a lot of, right now for all your UCF content, games, broadcast stuff like that and i hope that more schools take advantage of this and put out content stuff there whether it be coaches shows because a lot of schools you put up their coaches press conferences on espn plus whether it be a, a behind the scenes show whether it be olympic coaches shows there is a lot of different stuff that you could do uh with this platform it's like your own channel uh, we'll see what happens. Teams are, I think schools are still kind of figuring things out, but I think that's the future of uh, where this is all headed one way or the other. And it's cool. It's a great thing uh, to see. And I look forward to seeing it. I, you better believe it. With, I mean, to be honest, you just, Jeffrey here, we're going a uh, fourth wall here. We may have to assign somebody on the site to write a review of each episode. I'm in for that. I think that's a, I think that'd be great. We used to have a guy that would have been perfect for it, but he's off doing baseball. So we won't, we won't name him. So, you know, you know, he has specifically asked not to be named specifically yeah. asked not to be yeah. named. So we won't okay. name him. We will honor that. Um, he'll, he'll be the thou shall not be named. Yes. <laughs> Sir, not appearing in this podcast. Uh, let's move over to soccer. So uh, kind of a split weekend for the UCF uh, soccer teams, UCF men's soccer, uh, after that 4 nothing loss to FIU last Thursday, uh, they came back with a vengeance on Sunday and took it to uh, UNF. 5 to nothing uh, was the final for the Knights. Uh, Luca Dorado had two goals. Gino Vivi had one. Um, Lucas Morrow also had one. Josiah Ramirez uh, capped off the scoring for UCF. This is despite the fact that uh, UNF had an 8-3 to corner kick advantage. UCF was back to their old tricks in terms of shots. 19 shots to UNF's five. Uh, 
really an outstanding job uh, all the way around in goal for UCF, by the way, we're wondering how that would go. Uh, Matt Douglas played uh, 19 minutes. Tyler Levine played 71. Levine started. Yeah. Levine started. So, and Douglas came in afterwards. Uh, Douglas had two saves. Levine had the one uh, only three only needed to make three saves, but that's a big win for uh, UCF coming off, you know, coming off of that loss where I think they were really disappointed about how they started the season. Oh, that's an understatement. <laughs> uh, oh, that was an understatement. Yeah, Scott, that, Scott Calabrese they, didn't hold back on his presser on that. Yeah, they need they needed that one to come back really big, and they I think they took out some frustrations on uh, on UNF before they head out to the George Tarantini Classic uh, up colleague where they will play number ten Virginia Tech and NC State, who's receiving votes uh, Friday at four and Monday at seven p.m respectively, but that UNF win, I think was badly needed, especially the way that they did it. Yeah. I mean, Calabri said afterwards, uh, after the first match opener against FIU, you know, embarrassed, uh, disappointing, unacceptable. There was words. Those his words, uh, on the performance. He made some lineup changes as a result, mm-hmm. uh, wanted goal as well, not to say to single out the goalkeeper, but I think watching both teams, here's the thing. Yannick had so many responsibilities with this team beyond just, hey, making the save. Because with this offense, they want the goalkeeper to start the offense. Like he was, Yannick was a great passer yeah. as a goalkeeper. He has so many responsibilities, and the defenders always trusted him. Well, now we don't know who the goalkeeper is going to be. That's ongoing. If you're a defensive player, you don't know who you have behind you. You don't have that trust yet. You don't have that vibe. So sometimes a defensive player tries to do too much, and as a result, you turn the ball over and give up a goal. That's kind of what happened to them in the FIU match. I think they're still sorting all that out uh, in the backside there and getting that down. Who will step in and be the goalkeeper moving forward is still the big question. That has to be settled because then everybody else can settle down. Until then, I think you're going to have kind of people walking in pins and needles. Oh, do I do this? Do I not do this? And I think that's what happened to FIU. They bounced back against UNF, but the challenge is going to get a lot tougher now on the road. And I think they're still trying to figure out that whole vibe. they got to play better defensively. They were not good against the FIU. Uh, they lost their poise, too, which I know Coach Calabrese was disappointed in. Uh, that's something they don't, you don't want to see, and I think you're right. They took out some frustration on UNF. Now we'll see what they look like on the road. That's well, such a powerful better. word, disappointed. Such yes. a powerful word. Yeah, you're a parent too, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> the the uh, the big one I think is that Virginia Tech game coming up, which is their next one on Friday. Um, you know, had to get that win before heading into that one with uh, with the Hokies. Uh, but I, win, I, but win I, there, I, and and you're you're back. The the national folks are talking to you, talking about correct. You. But again. Eight corners given up. That's a concern. That's, again, not being sure how to clear the ball, you know, trying to do too much sometimes. Also, the other, more. Thing, <laughs> right, the other thing is, too, and FIU has done this now to them, uh, being physical with UCF, trying to be physical. They forced some fouls, getting chippy, trying to rough them up a little bit. That's how UCF lost their poise in the second half. That, that might be something that's kind of they're going to have to get used to because teams tend to be copycats. And if they see you kind of lose your poise against a team that's physical, they're going to try to duplicate that. So keep that in mind, too, how they handle being that, you know, being the physical style that the opponent might bring uh, against their uh, against them. Yeah. Women's soccer on the other side uh, suffered their first loss of the season, two to nothing against LSU uh, at home uh, earlier in the week. That game took place. Uh, on Sunday. So after uh, beating Texas at home in Florida on the road, uh, they, uh, they come back and lose to LSU two to nothing. Um, 
they a bit of a concern from that game because boy did Caroline Delisle get peppered with a lot of shots. LSU out outshot UCF sixteen to ten, but the shot on goal advantage was ten to two in favor of the Tigers, uh, and so uh, it, that seems to be a real concern in terms of in terms of the defense for uh, UCF, which performed very admirably in the first two games against Texas and Florida. It did not allow a goal. No, but LSU's look good, really good. That's a little. Yeah, they're they're off to a four and LSU, too, I LSU, and I don't mean. I mean, this is the only comparison I can make, so I'm going to apologize in advance. They've the LSU women's soccer is very eerily similar to what LSU football was when they played UCF, and what I mean by that is, LSU last fall women's soccer did not win a single match in the SEC, not one. They went winless. They won a conference tournament game, and then that's it. They played the spring, won 11 out of 13. And one of the things they did was they went more up-tempo offense. And we saw that on Sunday. They are an up-tempo offense, just like football. LSU, remember Joe Burrow the following year after the UCF game? They go up-tempo, spread it out. He becomes a Heisman Trophy. Same thing here with LSU here. They are now an up-tempo offense. They beat South Florida prior to this match. They have been doing this to everybody since the spring. They are one of the hottest teams in soccer. I think they are a sleeper team in the SEC if they keep this up. This is a team that is dangerous offensively and I think was too much firepower for UCF. I think UCF, I'm not going to say they weren't prepared for it, but it was a lot to handle. And when you have a team that's constantly putting pressure on you, it's hard to muster an offense, and that's what happened with UCF. Usually a team will sit back and be conservative. That is not the case with LSU, and that's kind of what happened to UCF. They fell behind for the first time, and they just couldn't muster much of an offense because LSU would counter them. Boom, and they were fast. I was really impressed with LSU. Tough loss for UCF, but again, at the end of the day, you're two and one. You have a wins over Texas and Florida. You actually moved up in the rankings, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. They actually jumped South Florida, which made agitated some of the folks and our friends in Tampa a little That's bit. That's a shame. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> respect, but it goes back to the respect that this program has uh, on that. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Like say, oh, oh, that's a big problem there. I'm just gonna tip my cap to LSU on that. I was really, I mean, I've women, men's side. We've talked so much, Jeff, about UCF and up tempo offense. We don't see that as much in the women's game. LSU basically played the UCF men's soccer style, uh, and I'm really intrigued to see them what to watch. But if you UCF two and one, it's a good start. But now you got to go to the horseshoe. That's soccer, right, Ohio the, the soccer, The soccer version. Is that Columbus. what they call it, Drew, there? The horseshoe in soccer, or is that just for football? It's just for football. All right, uh, I tried. I tried. Well, uh, September. Uh, this is Thursday. By the way, this is at 5 o'clock, right before the football game, UCF women's soccer at Ohio State on Big Ten Network Plus, <laughs> Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> um, with, then, respect, uh, with respect to uh, Ohio State and their fan base in soccer, I don't expect a marquee big crowd for that match. I have a feeling there's another sporting event going on, Drew. Can you elaborate? There's, is there? I think there's Ohio State football might also be played. So I have a feeling that a few people might be paying attention to that one. Uh, probably about as many people paying attention to UCF soccer with a football game. You know, hey, hey, way. hey, I, hey, that's why I'm here. Uh, I will give you updates on Night Shift. I can multitask, all right? They're on the road. See, that's the difference. The, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> who did that? Like, really? Um, uh, by the way, 
This is a Big Ten weekend for UCF women's soccer because after the Ohio State game, they come back home Monday and they play Penn State at 6 p.m. Penn State's very strong, uh, yeah. top 10. So, again, look, challenging schedule. Let's see how they grow. We'll see how they handle the you know, the road match area up in uh, Columbus. And then, obviously, you get Penn State's very You don't have to worry about good. the weather, right? I mean, that's, that's a good oh, I hope there. not. Let's hope not. I mean, we don't have – do we have Danny Doppler to give us an update? Not probably not. We're, we're going to no. keep her exclusive to football. But um, – so hopefully they can build on that. Hopefully, I would, like I said, we'll see how they do against Ohio State. Penn State's really good. And uh, not to look ahead, but there's a blockbuster one the following week. But we yeah, won't get North into that. Car- well, North yeah. Carolina, Sunday, September yeah. dot, uh, at 1 p.m. That's an old Miss sandwiched in between. Road trip out to Oxford. Let's not forget about that one. I know they're not going to. Uh, two and one to start the season. So we'll keep an eye on that. And, be, and we'll definitely be updating you. Follow our Twitter account, UCF underscore banner at, uh, for any updates from UCF Women's Soccer at Ohio State. Volleyball opening weekend for the Knights. They go one and two in a with a really tough schedule at, uh, in the UCF Challenge. They open on Friday night against Georgia Tech. By the way, this is a Georgia Tech team that earlier in the same day faced off against Penn State, uh, ranked number twelve in the country coming in, and beat them in four. And uh, UCF had Tech on the ropes a couple of times uh, and couldn't just couldn't pull through. UCF won the first set against Georgia Tech. Uh, lost the second 26-24. That's a one-swing difference. Uh, Tech won the third in uh, rather easily. And then in the fourth, again, it came down to one swing, and Georgia was able to get it 25-23. to So I think UCF, even though they lost that match in four, had to be pretty pleased with um, with how they came out in that match and certainly had a chance to, uh, and certainly had to be disappointed, though, with the way that they didn't get the, they didn't get the victory as they felt like they should have. Uh, McKenna Melville had 19 kills on 50 swings. That's a lot for her. And uh, interesting, uh, Coach Dashley running, uh, he usually runs what they call a 6-2, where they have, you know, basically um, six hitters and two setters, and they rotate two at a time, depending on how the rotation goes. Well, he's been running a 5-1 of late, and so far it's been working with Amber Olsen as the setter. She had 40 assists uh, in that Georgia Tech match. But then they come back, they had a doubleheader the following day, uh, including a match that yours truly was on the mic for on ESPN, which uh, uh, for ESPN Plus against St. John's, they get the sweep of the Johnnies. And uh, and by the way, St. John's is expected to be a big contender in the Big East. The Big East has Creighton and Marquette, and those are usually two very powerful volleyball schools. But St. John's is right there. They have the number one player in the Big East um, in uh, in Efrazini Alexicu, who they who not, the Knights held to just ten kills. And held her under 200. Meanwhile, Melville had 14 kills, and Anne Marie Watson had a big game uh, 11 kills, six blocks. Uh, she was fantastic in that match. Uh, so it came down to the nightcap Russ Rose and Penn State. They seven national titles, the winningest in the history of volleyball, college women's volleyball. Uh, and it looked really good early for UCF as uh, they actually had a set point against Penn State in the first but couldn't wrap it. Penn State at one point won uh, five straight points, or excuse me, four straight points to uh, finish off the first 27-25 and then just kind of stiff-armed the Knights late. They did a very good job on McKenna Melville, I should say. Um, They held McKenna, and this is what Penn State does, to just 11 kills on 39 swings, which is 077. She had eight errors, which is extremely uncharacteristic for her. Um, so that even though she was UCF's leading scorer with 12 points, Tally Marmon had nine, uh, nine kills, three errors on 26 swings, but 
I mean, that's what Penn State does. They just take away your best option, and that's what you get. So uh, what can you do after that? So uh, Penn State got the victory. One and two UCF volleyball, but uh, they have a chance to get something going here as they head to Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, They're going to play South Carolina twice and Clemson once. Clemson on Thursday at noon. South Carolina uh, Thursday at 7, and then they play South Carolina again Friday at 7.30. So that should be a uh, – so that's a key – That's a, this is a key weekend for them in a tournament known as the Palmetto Showdown at the Carolina Volleyball Center. Trying uh, to win the Palmetto State Championship. Yes. Well, I'll take it. Hey, listen, I, I think that this is going to be a big spot, especially those two matches against South Carolina. They're pretty good. And before you come back home for these last two tournaments, I think if, if UCF can get out of there with – uh, with maybe two out of three, I think you'd consider that a big win. And remember, even though the record's not all that great, that RPI is going to start bumping up weekend by weekend with this non-conference schedule. Well, I, I look, Todd has said this. He said this after the NCAA tournament match back in the spring. He told you this, I think, in the when he, we had him on the show. Mm-hmm. They didn't have these matches in the spring, and there's something to be said to be playing these matches to find out what you got, where you're at, what you need to work on, get tested, you know, take a, you know, take a shot, punch, you know, in the spring, you didn't really have that opportunity in the non-conference. And I think he mentioned that even in the post game, he felt that was missing from that team. So when high point punched them, you know, they kind of didn't respond like they should have probably now. To bring up the Penn State, you brought up Penn State and how they took McKenna Melville out and really took her. One of the reasons they did is they have what they did. And I think this is the blueprint. And, it, you know, look, UCF's going to be fine. They're going to be the favorites of the American and all this. But they remind me right now, and this is why Drew has been hanging out with us, folks, for two. I'm doing this analogy for two reasons for Drew, in honor of Drew, and in honor of our good friend Taco Fall, who's now the newest member of your beloved Cleveland Cavaliers. And the reason because- I bring. And the reason, well, it's funny you bring that up. I think UCF volleyball right now is like the LeBron James Cleveland Cavaliers. Which you version? Have, I will explain, Drew. You got to be patient. You got to be patient on this. So LeBron James is McKenna Melville. McKenna Melville is LeBron James. She can do anything, everything on the court, just like LeBron. But you, she needs help, and especially in volleyball here. When you're playing the Penn States of the world, they're going to put their big, tall size on her and for basically try to take her out and demand somebody else to beat them, somebody else to beat them and dare you to score it. And Todd has been emphasizing this about balanced scoring. You brought it up, Jeff, 50 swings against Georgia tech is too much because Georgia tech said we're at, at some point during that match is we're going to try to take McKenna out. We're going to make somebody else beat you. And what happens right now, UCF right now, is kind of like the first LeBron Cleveland era drew to answer your question. Remember, what was the big issue? Who was the second guy? Who would be the guy that could step up and support LeBron? Because LeBron's doing everything. He's doing defense. He's doing assists. He's scoring. Well, McKenna's the same thing. She's doing the scoring. She can play defense. She became the sixth or seventh player, depending on uh, your media guide, to have a 1,000 kills and a 1,000 digs. She could do everything. But she can't do everything alone, especially when you're playing the marquee teams. And this program, these players want to get to the Sweet 16. And to do that... They need to find their Kyrie Irving of this team. Who is the Kyrie Irving of this team who was a guy, a person that you could depend on to carry some of the load when all the focus was on LeBron? I think the 2019 volleyball team for UCF had that. Her name was Christina Fisher, Jeff. She was one that you can count on Mm -hmm. to deliver big points, big kills, kill rallies, take the plate 
when McKenna was being uh, focused on. Who is that player right now? We don't know. Uh, and who is that going to be? Is that player on this roster? We're going to see how the season plays out. But to me, that's the biggest key. If UCF wants to get to the make a big run in the NCAA tournament, who supports McKenna from an offensive standpoint? Because you saw what Penn State did, and I think you're going to see more teams doing this. They're going to, and, and, and they are capable of doing this, and that is to put their size on McKenna's side, spy her, and try to take her out of the game and force somebody else to beat them. Yeah, one of the things that I, I would like to see, and we saw this a little bit in the St. John's match, is you know if they it, it's a good day if they get Amory Watson on the right side warming up, because if he is able to be an offensive weapon. That's going to be a real key where they can where they can go to either side. I think the other thing that I'd love to see is is some is the middles more involved. Um, you know, we saw what uh, UCF was able to do with Narissa Moravic. She's so athletic. Uh, when she gets going, I think it's really tough because you know you can set her in rhythm and, and quick off of her feet that she's almost impossible to uh, to block if she gets if she gets the ball in the right spot. Uh, and then the other player I think that you know really is has sort of been unsung and I think is really going to going to develop well as the season goes on is Claudia Dillon, the transfer from Mizzou is the other middle blocker. That's she had a good start in that Penn state match. I was surprised she wasn't more involved as the match went on. I thought she showed some things early in that match. Yeah. I I think that if, if she gets going, if Marissa gets going in the middle, like that's going to relieve a lot of the pressure because, because McKenna, like you said, she's one of those kinds of players who, who, you know, very similar, like you said to LeBron is that, you know, when she senses any sort of imbalance, in, in the on-floor performance, she just, you know, kind of grabs the reins and takes over. And she has, you know, and, and as, as wonderful as that is to have a player who, as a coaching staff and as fans, you can rely on for that. It's one of those things where you got to have somebody who's like, look, don't worry about it. We're going to be okay. You don't have to take over just yet. Let's throw a different look at Wait. them and see what they do. Because it frees her up down move now. If you right. got somebody else you have to worry about, that's why Fisher, I thought, is such an underrated player in 19. You had to account for Fisher. So yeah. now you can't just focus on McKenna. And I think that's the key here right now, especially with a spring season, now a fall. You don't want to have McKenna swinging 50, 60 times, especially early. Can you get away with that in conference play? Sure, because in the conference, you don't have the size differences than you do when you play the big programs. You've mentioned this. One of the reasons you were you said one of the challenges that UCF has from a volleyball program is when you're playing the Penn States of the world, they have trees <laughs> at the net. Yes. It is hard. That's why McKenna's six five, six six, right across the net. Right. And they're athletic too. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> right, and that affects. That's why McKenna's shoot, uh, uh, hitting percentage is low. It's not because she's having. It's because the the degree of difficulty is that much harder. The only way to alleviate that is by having scoring coming from somewhere else yeah. because and then make the defense adjust. And I think to me, that's the key that they got to find. And Todd's been working. He's been saying this since the spring. That's why he wants a balanced offense because otherwise you become too predictable. And when you get to the postseason, teams will figure you out, especially yeah. if you're in the big top programs. That's the difference. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think Watson, you mentioned, I think of her, just to continue this analogy, just for Drew's amusement, is Kevin Love, who she does the Ooh. dirty work. She does the dirty work, doesn't get the credit. You know, the blocks are not, you know, the stats, they don't, you know, they don't get excited about it. You know, like Kevin Love got a lot of rebounds, but people are like, well, why aren't you doing more scoring or this? He does the dirty work. I feel like Watson is that player.
player. She has that ability, but she also does so many things that do not, you know, account for in the stat line. And so it's the thing. So I will. I think she's more of a Kevin Love type, but maybe she could become Kyrie. I don't Let, think let's you also... want to call her Kevin. No, don't Love. be don't be hating Kevin. Love. Don't do that. He's made Joe. out of glass. Now, well, now I'm, what I mean, Kevin Love, I mean championship. Kevin Love. I don't mean Kevin Love now. I mean LeBron. Mean the era. Kevin Love who shut down Steph Curry for about twenty That's seconds right. when Steph was trying Just, to get that shot that's off. That's right. Thing. Blind now, uh, squirrel not, finds nut. Details. Let's, wow. let's not. Uh, let's not uh, take anything away from Tali Marmon. Really good on right. the left side in uh, in McKenzie uh, or in uh, excuse me in McKenna's stead. But again, in those rotations, he's on the same that McKenna usually is on when she's on that front line. Right. She's she yeah. attacks from the left side. So, you know, teams have been if she presents that threat, you know, that's good because then you can have McKenna attack from the back. Correct. Right? But you kind of have to go pin to pin here. You have to go. <laughs> you have to find that. You have to find some offense on the right and in the middle to take that pressure off of both tally and yes. McKenna. So that's, but that's why. But that's why you're playing the schedule. That's why Todd plays it. And that's what was missing right. in the spring. In 19, he played a tough schedule. So by the time they played Florida State, they had these answers. I don't think in the spring they had these answers, Jeff, because they were he was limited on what he could schedule. And they were, quite frankly, not challenged to the degree as far as, man, we got to fake. Like these Penn State players, like there's a reason why these players, they're among the best in the country. They have size. They end up playing. It's difficult. They didn't get to see that in the spring. They'll get to see this not just this past weekend. They're going to see that moving forward with some of the teams they're going to see. And, and, the think, and the plan there is that's going to make this team tougher and better, and it'll pay off in the long run not only in the con when you get to conference play but what you hope is when you get to postseason by the way georgia tech by virtue of that three and zero weekend that they had at ucf moved up eight spots in the poll uh abca poll to number 16 penn state fell five spots despite the one loss to georgia tech but they're one they're one spot behind georgia tech at 17 the upcoming schedule uh for ucf this week we mentioned south carolina and clemson South Carolina comes in. They're actually ranked this week. They're at 24. Uh, Clemson is unranked. And I should say, by the way, we talked about St. John's and who they compete with in the Big East through UCF beat. Marquette, tied for, for 25th in the top 25 with Washington State. Creighton is the, only, is the highest ranked team that's receiving votes, not in the top 25. So that shows you who St. John's is going up is going up against in this year. So, you know, these this three matches is going to come back, I think, to really help UCF out in the long term uh, when we get the RPI all set. So, so there we go. Did you like that analogy, Drew? We did that for you and for Taco. We uh, in, in honor. I mean, <laughs> well, you I, did that, and, and that by the way, we should mention. And Drew will give you this. This is the spotlight. Taco. Yeah. Paul, See, segue signed by the Cleveland Cavs. This is what we're going to wrap with here. Uh, thoughts on Taco coming to the Cavs. Are we going to see him on the floor in Cleveland? Well, here, here's the thing with Cleveland. Uh, they're, they're not very good. Uh, this, <laughs> well, they're, they're not. They're a rebuilding. For the record, by the way, for those that may not be aware, Drew is a Cleveland sports fan. He's Browns, Indians, Cavaliers. We're not just doing this just for, for Guardians. Guardians I'm Guardians. from Cleveland. Uh, exactly. Fact, so just, just so he's the most qualified to address this. That's in yeah. fact, I just flew back from Cleveland uh, two days ago, but that that's neither. Well, by the time you hear this, it'll be three days ago. It's Monday, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, uh, this is a team that uh, needs a lot of work. And one of the benefits for taco is the fact that 
First round pick Evan Mobley is very versatile. They're going to move him around from center to power forward. So as a result, you only really have one true center in Jared Allen on this team. So they, while there's a lot of big guys on the team, uh, uh, Larry Markkinen was just traded for mm-hmm. uh, in a, a very head scratching trade. Uh, the, there, there's a lot of women <laughs> on the team, but there's also opportunity to, to be able to, to play and develop. Uh, I, I think the Cleveland fans are going to fall in love with this guy. We know uh, from our time with him, you know, uh, playing in Orlando, uh, you, you will be very hard pressed to find a cooler, nicer guy than Taco Fall. And, and uh, my hope is that he does more than just garbage time, that they actually, he finds a way in to the back end of the rotation. Cause if he can get some meaningful playing time, uh, he can really, he can, he can build a niche for himself. Um, but this is probably one of the better teams as far as opportunity. They're not very good. They're going to be very much on an evaluation basis. And it just says something, the fact that they're willing to give them a contract. Now, I'd like to point out, it's a non-guaranteed contract. That means, doesn't mean he's, you know, he's guaranteed that money if he doesn't make the team. There's other players uh, that were signed that were in the same place, but they only had 14 guys on roster. So 15, now they have a full team. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it looks, at least it's promising that he has a, a real opportunity to, to find a, a home. I hope we see that. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was pleased when he actually got the playing time that he did in Boston. Um, it was always garbage time. I mean, it, was- it, it was, but you know, he's still on, he was still on that roster. Uh, got some, got some time uh, in the, you know, on that floor. Um, I do think he's been developing his game. Well, uh, it, we've seen some of that. We've seen him be a lot more versatile on the floor. I think that's a lot of fun to see. Um, Boston has brought a lot more out of taco fall than, I think even maybe a lot of UCF fans might've thought, but uh, again, I want to see him really compete and maybe get the chance. It's just so hard because it's a guards league now. And when you're seven foot five, you know, it's. Mobility is hard. Mobility is hard. And it's, it's, he's no longer the kind of player who's really built for the game 20 years ago, he would have been. So now what do you do to change that? What do you, are you zigging when everyone else is zagging with it? Or do you adjust your game in that respect? And I'd like to see what, comes up what how he comes up for the Cavs in that respect now I do want to point out that the contract's not official yet uh they've agreed to the contract but it just it hasn't been finalized so I'm sure that'll be happening in in the upcoming days can you hook us up to some taco fall gear I was Um, gonna say have you ordered the jersey yet (laughs) hey I I want to get uh a authentic taco fall Jersey. And I, it's still a life's goal of mine to somehow get a team issued slash game use Charlie Hewlett Jersey. Don't know if I ever will, but that's, that's a life goal. Listen, those of you who don't know, and it quite might be quite a few of you. Drew is the Jersey fiend. I mean, he has them all. Uh, I don't know. How many do you have exactly? Um, Are you talking about just UCF ones or in general? How about both? UCF ones, if you just count team issued or game used, not including replicas, some around 56, 57, oh 58 gosh. range. Uh, if you count replicas, which um, some are older than others, uh, probably closer to like 70. Um, <laughs> My wife as far as all together, I, I have to turn because it's actually in the room I'm in. Uh, at least 130 
probably more than that. I haven't counted them lately. <laughs> I need are you to, gonna like, like you know do something with them like are you gonna hang them up and display them somewhere well and... i mean they're hanging in a closet in fact um I that doesn't do anybody any good before so it's currently two bars that are um uh drilled into the stud because i've broken two closets in my time because the jerseys got too heavy <laughs> wow. that's i gotta admit that's impressive it's, what's your favorite one out of all of them Ooh, ooh, um, probably favorite overall jersey, uh, not including the one of my brothers that has um, our last name on it from back when he played at Beachwood High School in, in Beachwood, Ohio. Uh, was probably a 93-94 Cleveland Cavaliers Chris Mills jersey, um, game used. And what's cool about it, it was the last year before they moved to Gundarino when they still had the old The Richfield Coliseum, right? Yeah, from the last season of Richfield Coliseum. And when they did the 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 um, the throwbacks, they always did the ones with calves on to show the high to to showcase the calves the old calves logo with the V of the net. This one's actually blue with the Cleveland spelled out, so it's never been re- redone. And it's it's real, it's authentic. I mean, I've got I've got some really cool Cleveland ones. I got a couple of the ones with the old splash logo when they first moved to Gund Arena. Uh, I've got Rel Brandon jerseys, right? Uh, I don't have a Terrell Brandon, um, but uh, from that same generation, I mean, I have, well, like Sean L. Scott, because I actually can fit in it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have like an Antonio Lang. I don't fit in it, but it's one of the 50th anniversary ones. Antonio Lang. I haven't heard that name. How many many LeBron jerseys you got? Uh, Three, I think. I never got one one that says the land. (laughs) <laughs> no, I never bought one of them. I actually thought they were hideous. I have one of them from his rook. I have one from like his rookie year, actually. I've got one of that style, but it wasn't. Yeah. I, I didn't buy it in 2003. Okay. Uh, let's I also that. have a heat LeBron jersey as well. Now, that. now I'm going to I'm going to showcase the sickness right here because it, it, it's kind of like my addiction. I have I've tried to collect from every minor league team of the Cleveland Indians and Tampa Bay Rays. So I've got some unique ones, the uh, Lake County Captains, the uh, Columbus Clippers, Montgomery Biscuits. Oh, jeez. Uh, let's Man. see. And I've, I've also tried Montgomery to collect... Biscuits. Rest in peace, the Orlando Rays. Yeah, I actually have the Orlando Rays. Uh, I even have some un- unique ones like the Brainton Explorers and the Brainton Juice from leagues that don't exist anymore. Uh, let's see. I have... Um, I've tried to collect one from every... Division one school in Florida and Ohio, and I've managed to do it. I've actually also managed to get a few Division twos in there as well, and threes. All right. UWF. Huh? UWF. I have West Florida. I have North Florida for the Gulf Coast. Uh, I think I have Lynn. uh, Lynn University. Wow, Lynn University in Boca, huh? Yeah, I well, I lived not too far from there from once upon a time. Man, I'm just trying to think off the well, top. Well, don't burn all your material. You're gonna need some of this material for like the yes. Bethune Cookman game in the second half. I have when, a Bethune you get... Cookman. There you... <laughs> uh, I have FAMU, which is my oh, brother-in-law's boy. alma oh, mater. Boy. Oh, okay. Uh, I've got a couple Alabamas because that's my sister's alma mater. I've got Case Western Reserve University because that's my brother's alma mater. John Carroll, the rival to Division Three powerhouse Mount Union, Kent mm-hmm. State because that's all family schools. Harvard because I used to go there. 
uh, and then my vast UCF collection. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Save some of that material. Yeah, save some of that. We're, some of that. Yeah. we're gonna need to. We're gonna need a tour of the UCF collection at some point. Plus, uh, I think that's gonna be a second half conversation in the press box with you and <laughs> Trace, Kyle, Nash, and those and company. You, you need to save some of that for the yeah. second half. There. there, you guys can take a look at it in our webcams. <laughs> Fantastic. For those of you who are listening on our feed, you weren't able to see it. Uh, all right. Yeah, but now you've boxed yourself in, Drew, because now you have to actually tweet out a photo of all that so that we can, so that we can share before. that with the podcast. Oh, he's not on our shy. social media not account, shy. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Statboy Drew on Twitter as well, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Elo. Uh, make sure you follow us. We've got a lot of stuff coming out the morning of and the afternoon of the game, uh, including our uh, preview uh, and uh, also our predictions, our season predictions as well. Uh, for the entire season of UCF football, where each and every one of us on the staff thinks is going to happen with uh, UCF football. And then, of course, Drew, you will be in the press box. I will be in the press box. All right. So follow Statboy Drew on Twitter for all the latest on that. Uh, Eric, I'm sure you'll be watching the game as well. I will be watching. Of course, I will be quite busy during the game. I will not be tweeting from the game as I usually do. Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going hey, to. Are you going to tweet, tweet from while the game? I'm doing PA. <laughs> I will be tweeting from my house from the studios. We get set for night chef post game. Myself and Jeremy Brenner. I don't know. Jeremy's unpredictable. I don't know what he'll say. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Hopefully, uh, you know, he'll be composed. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, we'll get a good game to talk about. Jerry's really good. Jeremy's really good at making people uncomfortable on on streams with some of his answers to questions. Challenge accepted. <laughs> but uh, all right. So we'll, we will have. Uh, we will have. Uh, the stream after the game on uh, night shift as well. So make sure you keep an eye on that. And uh, like I said, it's, I can't believe football season's here already. So make sure you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash black and gold. Of course, black and gold banneret.com. We are the home of your UCF nights on SB nation. We thank all of you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, subscribe. Please leave us a comment uh, or uh, and or a rating. If you do not subscribe, please do. We are available on uh, Apple Podcasts. And also, if you're an Android user, Spotify, or wherever you get uh, your podcast. Yes, Drew, you look like you're going to say something. Oh, no. Um, you know, we were talking about jerseys. And one uh, one comment that, that we made while we were still off the air was my my favorite UCF uniform of all time, which I do have one of. The 03. The 2003 Home Unis. By far the best, hands down. And I do have that one with a Mac patch. Uh, it was actually a Michael Gaines game used. 82, Michael Gaines, yeah. I, I have it. It's one of my favorite ones to wear. NFL veteran Michael Gaines. We've got, so we've got that and plenty more to come tomorrow. So to make sure you follow us again, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. We will be live tweeting the game uh, as everything happens from there and reacting to it in uh, in real time and after the game as well. So that will do it for myself, for Eric Lopez and Drew Glukov. I'm Jeff Jaren saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Gold Banneret Podcast. We will see you at the Bounce House Thursday night, 7 p.m. kickoff. See you there. Time to bounce.